0: Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome back to Fear It Goes. This is episode eight, and our guest is Catherine Franzens. She is a very dear friend of mine. We have been friends for many years, and I wanted to share her story because I found it completely fascinating while she was experiencing it. And there is a lot that is not really public knowledge around a brain injury and what happens when you are healing. This is the story of a run that turned into a concussion, that turned into post-concussionary syndrome, and what that means for someone that experiences it, and really for those around them. Welcome to Fear It Goes. welcome to fear it goes the podcast all about taking your fears with you and doing it anyway i'm your host brandy taylor i just want to welcome you to fear it goes Catherine. thank you so much for being a guest with us Your story is quite an amazing story that I'm very excited to share with the world and why it's important. Let's begin with what happened. Well, thanks so much for having me,
1: Brandy. I'm really excited to be on your podcast and share my story. Uh, I think the best place to start is maybe the time just immediately preceding the fall and and where I was. So I had worked my way to a management position in the corporate world. I was a mom Trying to write on the side, um, I remember those days <laughs> is, yeah, very you know very goal driven very focused um and uh in many ways kind of tough as nails in that. I think as many of us do through your twenties and, and early thirties, as you start forming your identity, you build a bit of a shell around yourself, a bit of armor. And I was certainly living firmly behind that armor um and really thriving. But then at the same time, there was definitely a part of me that was starting to feel constricted by by the armor I had built. You know, jump jump ahead to the the time around when I fell, one of my biggest outlets at the time was running. We had just been on a vacation, which one would think would have provided some relaxation, but actually um, uh, it was kind of the opposite. We had a great, great time, but traveling with two kids is stressful. I was anticipating going back to
0: work. Didn't they also, didn't one of them break their foot or there was some sort of incidents that had happened right around that same time? Yeah, so actually
1: on the vacation, um, both kids had injured themselves. One had fallen in a hotel room and broken his nose and the other had fallen at the zoo and broken his arm. And that precipitated us making a rush trip from Seattle to Calgary home in one day with a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. Hence the the not coming home, feeling rested and and relaxed. And then also anticipating uh, coming back to work. So I had just been promoted to a senior manager position. I knew that after this vacation I was going to have to you know, pull on my big girl pants and really get a few things done. I had been given a little bit of runway to get uh, up to speed, but that run I had run out of runway. And so this vacation was kind of the turning point. Now I had to start proving myself in this new role. So I was anticipating that and just all kind of the busyness that comes with that. Feeling cramped, feeling tired, decided that I needed to go out for a run. My husband had to go driven to the airport later in the day. So this is my little window of opportunity to get out and blow off some steam. So the run starts as normal. Um, I have a set little 5k route that I used to do and covered kind of the first k like normal, started to feel my body relax, was getting into it, was getting lost in my thoughts. And that's actually really where my memory of the event stops. So I had stepped out onto a, a bridge that I cross I don't really remember what happened after that, so I had lost my memory. But first thing I remember was kind of blackness and not knowing where I was in time and space for like a brief second. And then the next thing I remember was the sound of my head hitting the pavement. Then I remember coming, coming to, I don't know how long it was out, just a couple seconds, I think, literally going from being flat on the ground to upright, in a second, like not, you know, just one of those, the adrenaline kicks in, you bound up, you don't know what happened. And standing there in the middle, I'm now three quarters of the way across the bridge that trying to assess what had actually
0: transpired. I was torn up. So wait a minute. I want to understand this. Did you just say that you got up as in started walking? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was literally, yeah, it was again, all adrenaline, all, all shock Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there was no, you know, picking yourself up. It was literally prone, upright, just boom. Wow. And then kind of doing that body assessment, what just happened. So I had torn all of the skin and and, uh, tissue off the front of my knee, like almost down to the bone. I had other bruises and and scrapes. I knew I could tell my head was bleeding. Of course, I kind of turned back. And at this point, I'm actually more embarrassed than I am concerned about my my well-being, right? I'm more embarrassed that someone's going to kind of see me all beat up, which is kind of our weird reaction to these kinds of things. And I basically hobbled home. Came home, my husband was in the shower, go walk up to him and and was really just making a joke of it after all the incidents (laughs) that had happened on the vacation. It's like, can you believe it? One more thing... Uh, and just started addressing kind of the surface the surface wounds. So cleaned, cleaned myself up, bandaged myself up, and, and then proceeded with my day. You know, it was a kind of a typical kind of day. We never had a day of just kind of resting and sitting around. So I was driving my husband and his friends to the airport, coming back home, arranging a play date for the kids, taking the other kid to the, the Dragon Boat Festival, having someone come over for dinner, and doing all of that. And again, the biggest worry at that point for me was that my, my knee was in pretty rough, rough shape, but just keeping an eye on it and bandaging it. About 9 o'clock that night, I, I hit the wall. Um, I, I just felt like something was wrong, and I realized that I probably had a concussion. So I, uh, you know, took the kids in, went to bed. The next day I made arrangements for the kids to, uh, to go to my sister's so I could just have a day to relax and take it easy. And then Monday, so that was a Sunday, and then Monday, uh, jump back in to work and and to life, thinking that one day of rest was going to be sufficient to, to recover from this. First, it kind of felt that way. So what's interesting about concussions is there's two ways that your brain can get damaged. One is the immediate effect. So kind of like a bruise or anything else, you hit it and immediately you've got the injury. The other way, though, that your neurons can get damaged is that you damage the coating on the outside of them, the fatty coating. And that takes a lot longer to take effect. So what basically happens is you start starving the neurons and they slowly degrade. And that was what happened to me. I had the immediate damage, took a day, recovered from that, probably wasn't enough but you know at that time in my life I was of the mentality if you don't stop because you're sick you just power through right it was a badge of honor to never take a sick day you just powered through
0: whatever it was that you were going through um I so often wonder why people think that that is such a badge of honor to not take a moment to care for self so it's it's something to think on peeps (laughs) something (laughs) to think on self-care is very important
1: Oh, ab- absolutely. You know, and this is really a big story about self-care, right? And so many of us do that. We don't take the time. It, it becomes the more I can do, the more I can cram in. And the things that we call self-care really aren't, right? Exactly. Things like, like the only thing I was doing that was anything related to self-care was the running. Yeah. But, you know, part of that was an outlet because it was also... It was tough to run, it was cool to run, you know, we feel like we have to exercise. It's one of those things on the list of things that we have to do sometimes that we don't necessarily just do for ourselves. So as, a month, about a month started, as the month, progressed, bud month started as month progressed, started having weird experiences. Again, it was really sluggish for the first two weeks. You know, in retrospect, obviously I was recovering from that initial part of the concussion, but just kept trying to work through it and just kept saying things like, gosh, I can't get out of vacation mode, I just can't get my head on straight. And then all of a sudden I had a week where I was on fire. I had so much energy. Everything was just bright and shiny. I was getting stuff done. I just focused. Couldn't believe it. I hadn't felt that way in years and years and years. But then as that progressed, things just got kind of strange. So sounds that I'd hear every day sounded brand new. I ate a strawberry. And part of my brain recognized... That I was eating a strawberry, but part of my brain that processed taste was like I was tasting something I had never eaten before. So, kind
0: of exciting. It, it sounds like it was kind of a bittersweet moment.
1: Those were kind of interesting days. Um, it was kind of like, well, geez, if this is a concussion, this is fun. I can deal with it, right? Things <laughs> I are think brand it's new. It's so bad, yeah. Um, but of course it didn't stay there things just kept degrading and degrading and degrading and almost every sense just became um over overstimulating so that this is a brand new taste all of a sudden overpowering, that light was overpowering, sound was overpowering, and slowly my brain just wasn't able to process all the stimulus around me. Again, in my mentality of powering through, kept trying to work. It was really a coworker who, unbeknownst to me at the time, was also going through a bit of a health crisis. And she, uh, she came into my office, and she closed the door. She sat on my desk, and she looked me square in the eye and said, I'm not leaving until you call your doctor. Wow. Yeah. I called. I made an appointment. Go in. And again, with typical bravado, I had gone on the Internet, had done my research. <laughs> could barely stand to be on the computer, but I had done my research. said, well, I think this is what's going on, and can you just write me a note to take a week off? kind of agreed and said, well, yeah, I think you need to take some time off and then you need to need to come back. Basically, that started a cycle of I took the week off. I wasn't any better. Okay, let's go one more week. Okay, I think you need another two weeks. Oh, I'm sure if we just take one more month, you'll be fine. And through that time, things just kept getting worse and worse until really I had degraded to the point that I was sleeping probably about 16 to 18 hours a day. Wow. Cuz I would just and, and literally just fall into exhaustion like I couldn't function and my body would shut down
0: like it wasn't just a or it wasn't a restful sleep it was but it's also a mental fatigue. So it doesn't matter if we have physical fatigue or mental fatigue it's still a workout and it's still very taxing on the energy that flows through your body. Yeah. You're in the midst of trying to process data that is now bombarding you in ways that you are not processing. So I'm guessing actually your RAS was affected at that time. So your reticular activation system, which sits at the top of your spinal cord. Yeah, because it's the component that kind of um, goes through all of our senses and what we're drawing in for data and says, yes, we're going to keep this and no, we're not, this doesn't matter and kind of determines what we perceive.
1: Uh, that would make sense. That's very, very likely. And, um, um, certainly my in later testing that was done, um, my vision was largely affected and mostly how you're, again, not my ability to I- intake vision, but your brain's processing of vision. And, right. you know, what I didn't appreciate, and I don't think most people appreciate, we take our vision really for granted is that, um, our eyes are basically just bringing in raw data and there's so much processing in terms of what we see. This was months later, but you know, one of the things that really hit home for me is I, I wasn't able to, because of my, my visual processing um, wasn't working properly, it was anything visual was very exhausting and so I wasn't able to look at a computer screen, watch TV or even read for, for quite a long time. So to occupy the time, one of the things I had done is I hung a bird feeder outside of my, my front window and watched the birds. But what was interesting is think think about watching a bird fly normally. It's a very smooth. You just see them kind of move smoothly across. Right. Which isn't actually the case. That's our brain our brain makes that motion seem smooth. And so my brain wasn't processing it the same way. And I actually could see the, each flight of the wing and the whole body of the bird move.
0: Shifting.
1: And um, it's a very, very jerky, discombobulated, not smooth or grateful, graceful process that we actually are used to seeing. But again, that's, that's, that really hit home for me how much work our brain does to sort of smooth things out and process what we're seeing. Versus just, and that was the same reason looking at a computer screen was so taxing. Is screens aren't static; they seem static to us, but they're actually constantly flickering. So, if you watch a computer screen, for example, on, on TV, um, and you see how it's always flickering, it's because the the, um, the secondary camera is picking is slowing down and picking up that part that our brain normally filters
0: out. I would imagine that sound was also an issue because our ears pick up a lot of data and we process, okay, we don't need to pay attention to this sound, but we do need to pay attention to this. And I can't imagine how that would have been in those moments either. Yeah, completely overstimulating. You know, I tried to go to one of my kids'
1: hockey games and, you know, this, the sound of the buzzer would be excruciating. It was excruciatingly painful. L- literally, you know, I'd find myself curled up into to a ball
0: every time the, the buzzer or, or some sort of loud sound would go off. One of the gifts you gave me through this process was um, your sharing of how things were moving around in your brain. So when you were experiencing certain things, you described it to me so well, and it really set a lot of things in motion for me, and I want to thank you for that. And what I'm referring to is you said at one point, you're like, I close my eyes and it's like watching a movie, but it's clips. And it just is clip, 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 clip. And I can feel things moving around. and
1: Yeah. So there were, well, there's a number of interesting things that were happening in my brain, um, particularly as I laid down and went to sleep or tried to go to sleep. And I, I mentioned before I was sleeping a lot, but it wasn't our normal type of sleep. It was a very, my brain was very active at that time. Um, I actually wasn't, it wasn't restful. And often, you know, and it was very intermittent. So I I would wake up a lot in the middle of the night and and roam. But weird, weird things were always happening in my my brain, especially right at that period where I started to fall asleep. I could actually, as I was lying there, Um, and often I'd be lying down in a dark room because I just couldn't handle any more stimulus and and the only thing I could then focus on was kind of what was going on inside of myself and as I fell asleep I could literally it was like a series of switches you know that your body kind of turns off you could feel the different different processes happening that put us into sleep but again they were happening at a different speed than they would normally normally when we lay in bed and we fall asleep this all kind of happens at once but I feel like Okay, here, the switch that causes you to stop moving and almost be paralyzed has gone off. The, the, the switch that slows down your breathing has gone off. But then that last switch that would put me into sleep wouldn't go off. So you'd, almost, you'd be lying there with your body basically in a restful state, unable to move, shallow breathing. Um, it was almost like an out-of-body experience. There's actually a name for it, which is eluding me at the moment. Um, but it's a known sleep disorder. And then there was, it was a series of memories. It was mostly from, I don't know, probably about 17 years old to my mid 20s. That as I was lying in bed, my brain would just, it was almost like the, wherever those memories were stored for that period of time was part of what was damaged. And the brain was having to go through them and, and relive them and re, recode them. into the system and so just randomly memories of nothing not triggered by anything would but would just come and uh, it was like watching a video it was watching my life in my own in my own head um, and almost experiencing them very viscerally again but at the same time having my my over 40 self be able to analyze what was going on and so it was a really unique experience of feeling what I felt when I was younger, but then having the wisdom of being older um, and being re- able to recode and reframe and reprocess those memories. It's fascinating. And then, of course, there was a uh, whole series of things that were just hallucinations happening at the same time. Interesting. Yeah. We
0: didn't talk about that, I don't think.
1: Oh. Yeah, just, uh, just recurring images. There was one of a hoop dancer... That would come into my head quite a bit. Um, uh, different, different things. I don't even know how to describe them all, but yeah.
0: Huh. Okay, so all this stuff is going on. Stimulus is way too much. You are not having the easiest time processing. How long did that transpire, and what did what did that do to your life, and and what you were able to do? So. That probably went on for, well, that went on for
1: probably about three months. Um, And I think the biggest thing that it did is, you know, I was an extremely high-functioning person. Um, I was, you know, prior to the fall, I was waking up at five every morning, exercising, going to work, coming home, parenting, putting the kids to bed at nine o'clock then working until midnight going to bed getting up at 5 and now my life was i get up i sit in the chair for 2 hours get overstimulated go back and lay in a dark room get up sit in a chair my kids come home from school i can't handle being around them for more than an hour my husband has to do the cooking the cleaning the parenting and i 'm um, basically living the life of a house cat, you know, my big hobbies were reading, writing uh can do any of that, and uh, it was a complete disillusion of myself and my identity.
0: I think it unscrambled your identity and really made you kind of reevaluate what that was it did so.
1: And and the reason I brought up armor at the beginning is because all of those things that I built as my identity, my outside identity, not who I was at the core, but my outside identity, one by one fell off. And all that was left was what was ever that mushy part that was me. But I do very distinctly recall one day sitting in the chair, probably feeling sorry for myself, but realizing that I'm still here. Whatever was at the core, me, the real me, still here. And one of the biggest things that had driven my life up until that point was a belief that my worth was based on my contribution. And I'm not proud to say, but my belief of other people's worth was on their contribution.
0: Contribution in what way?
1: To society, to the world, to life. So I really believe that we owed the world something. That we take a lot of resources from this planet to exist. Mm -hmm. We take a lot of resources in our society from other societies to exist. From each other. From each other. (laughs) And that we have an obligation to give back. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a completely selfish thing, but it was also not recognizing the inherent worth of ourselves. For me, my self-worth had really been largely around the accomplishments I had made in my life as a professional woman, as a mother, as a wife, as a homemaker, as a friend. But all those things were things that I was doing and giving And my worth wasn't just the person that I was. And I think the biggest learning for me was that recognition of I'm still here. And I still have value. And then being also able to see it through the eyes of the people that love me. To go, none of them saw any of my worth diminish because of what I had lost.
0: Because we always saw your value. Yeah. It's funny how we don't see our own value until something seriously shifts our world and forces us to see it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think anyone who's been through any sort of trauma, particularly an illness, but any sort of trauma, will say often that it's the best thing that ever happened to them.
0: Yeah.
1: You never wish it on your worst enemy, but at the end of the day, you'll say it's the best thing that ever happened to you. And it's because of that realization. So it was a complete, complete loss of the exterior shell that I had built around myself. And I was just myself at the core. And in many ways, it was a really beautiful time. Like I said, you know, my brain was doing strange things, but... It was amazing and enlightening at the same time. It was f- the the academic in me was fascinated.
0: <laughs> As was mine,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know. And uh, I, I think that's why we had so many discussions about it. It's like I can't, this is just the weirdest thing. Let me explain to you. <laughs> I was learning so much, but it was also a very difficult time in terms of, uh, yeah, dealing with that loss of self and, and identity. So this went on for about three months until, and things started actually seeming to improve. I was actually hopeful, this is right, right around December, I was really quite hopeful that by the new year I might actually be in a place where I could maybe go back to work. Things were starting to get better, I was managing better, but it was a lot of good days and then bad days, good days and the bad days, it was on the cycle. And then everything within a really short period of time completely fell apart, mm-hmm. you know, just a bunch of small, small things happened. Um, at, at the time I had t- two cats, they were both in their twenties. They were old and, and, uh, they were quite old. um, <laughs> one, one I had to put down, um, her kidneys failed. And so that was hard, hard. Yeah. You know,
0: losing a family member, particularly at the time, because they were a big part of my life because I was home. And you're already processing so much. And now here's another big event to process at yeah. the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And then the last, the last nail in the coffin was right before Christmas. My father-in-law passed away. It, it, it was His passing was quite traumatic uh, for the family. It wasn't expected. Um, he also lived in Ontario. So on the busiest travel day of the year, my husband had to pick up and try and go across the country, trying to, rushing there to hopefully see his father before he passed, uh, which was unfortunately didn't happen, he passed. Well, uh, my husband was on the airplane, but because of the, because of multiple circumstances, one, uh, it was a horrible time to travel. Uh, it was hard enough. My my brother in law couldn't even get a direct flight. He ended up having to take three flights across North America just because of the availability of flights. So there's no way as a family we could have all traveled. Uh, there, my, my health wasn't such that I could really manage the manage it to begin with either and so I was left alone uh, distraught already quite vulnerable at Christmas time with two kids and you know one of the things I was trying really hard to do was not let all of this impact Christmas for my kids and so uh, they wanted to go to zoo lights so we went to zoo lights and we wanted you know had this party or that thing to go to and we tried to do it all at the same time, I stopped sleeping. Uh, so I, I literally went three days without any able to sleep at all. I just couldn't. I was exhausted, but I couldn't sleep. So the other interesting thing I learned is what actually happens to one's body when you don't, you don't sleep. sleep. <laughs> so in the middle of the night, on the third night, uh, I began having... Uh, to this day, I've never gotten a straight answer as to what's happened. They weren't true seizures. Uh but seizure like um, happening symptoms, so basically falling to the ground shaking i I didn't lose consciousness, I didn't lose control of my bodily functions, which is why they, they weren't diagnosed as true true seizures, but um you know, testing of my reflexes and the like uh, showed that there was something neurologically going on at the time so i I ended up getting rushed to to the hospital and fortunately you know my uh, my my parents came in and kind of scooped me up and scooped my kids up and and took me to their took us all to their house to uh and and kind of took over for me while I could just rest
0: yeah
1: yeah but that uh that was my proverbial kind of rock bottom at that point that was
0: the breakdown of all <laughs> breakdowns yeah and that's it
1: <laughs> yeah and um You know, several things happened. So not only had that point had I lost all my own protective armor, what that incident had also started to reveal was some of the armor or walls that we had built up in our marriage. And those got kicked down really fast. And it was just the final realization that uh, my health, you know, all the optimism of getting better for the new year now was completely completely gone and really at this point um is when my mental health probably took the biggest the yeah. biggest blow yeah so january was a very dark time but one thing kept me going and that was when i went to the emergency room and it was interesting because you know those treated kind of awkwardly at first so Uh, you know, like, we just need to figure out what's going on. Take a blood sample, take a urine sample. And, but really what they were doing was testing me for drugs and alcohol. But when the results came back negative, because there was, there was nothing in my system and it was really just legitimately something going on. I remember the the ER doctor at the time sort of pulling me aside. He was giving me the prescription um, for sleeping pills so I could sleep and 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 doing a few other things. But there was just a brief moment, you know, again, at this point, I'm I'm really barely coherent. And he's just trying to kind of keep a real conversation going. At one point in the conversation, he just looked at me. And it was a very human look. It was just 100% compassion.
0: Like, I see you.
1: I see you. I feel for you. Um, that
0: moment of connection.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just a second. That was what I held on to to get me through kind of those dark days was that not only had I gotten myself down to the bare core, but someone else had saw that core and was still able to show me love, right? In my worst, darkest moments, in there was Love. love. And that was what carried me through. Because that's the core of us. We are love. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and it's interesting. Again, it was just a look. It was just a second. But, uh, you know, great learning in terms of our impact on people and the world, right, is that uh, something as simple as a basic look
0: can change (laughs) someone's life. Absolutely it can. Yeah. Random acts of kindness can change someone's life. I had a moment. I'm pretty sure I told you about this. It was probably right around this time when things were sideways with you. The kids were really young. And I was dropping them off at, at a birthday party. And I don't know what had happened that day, but I was really frustrated. And I'd gotten out of the car, walked around, and was about to open the door when this guy came up to me and literally said, he like kind of tapped me and he said, I just want you to know you're beautiful. And he looked at me and it wasn't uh, you're pretty. It wasn't about your looks. It was about who you are. And I felt it from the second he said it and it completely changed not only my day, but I still remember that. And that was years ago. Those moments when we can really offer people something that is real. And that real connection makes all the world of difference in someone's life. That's yeah. a legacy we leave.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, that's, I think, the biggest thing that I've carried with me is I want to be in a place, both in my, within myself, but also in the environments that I find myself in, where that connection, where that supporting each other as human beings mm-hmm. is the most paramount thing. That has become probably one of my biggest values that has grown out of this. And so if I go back to my thinking in terms of before and self-worth being about what you give. Right. And at the time looking at it very materially or physically.
0: Physically, yeah.
1: Now I still have that same mentality in a way, but it's about what we give of ourselves. And And how. And how. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that's what makes a really amazing leader out in the world, is that they know how to raise people and how to give them the gifts they need to be better people. That's the encounters we offer the world.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's not about succeeding at the expense of others. It's about recognizing that there's room for everyone to succeed. Because there is. And true <laughs> success is bringing others with you and raising Absolutely. them up. Yeah.
0: Okay, so we are at a point where you have basically hit this rock bottom. There's been every rotten experience hit you. You are in not the most strong mental state. It's a, I mean, honestly, I think back to when I had a car accident and just the repetition of seeing the doctors all the time and constantly reliving the car accident made that a very depressive state to be in. And people fall into these depressive funks um, very often after an injury yep. or an illness that's serious, because it's constantly reliving it, and so all you're doing is just constantly reinforcing this terrible moment or terrible experience or terrible event that's hit your life, and not seeing the other sides of life.
1: Yep. Yeah, like I said, it was it was dark days. That's certainly kind of the. I mean, I was certainly at that point uh, in a major depressive state. Um, You know, a couple shining lights were again, you know, um, the support I had from friends and and family, Uh, and my family doctor. So he had been candid with me since the beginning of of seeing him that he had never dealt with a head injury before. He really didn't know what to do, uh, and we were going to work through it together, but that he'd be on my side and that we would figure it out. And he, uh, you know, his honesty was always a great. Uh, great
0: uh, relief to some extent yeah yeah
1: but certainly after the hospitalization he also stepped up his game a little bit I think he realized that we needed to get more hands-on and he needed to get more help more intervening more intervening and he had started seeking out additional resources so um, you know consultation with neurologists um, uh, and then eventually into a rehab program now, you know, and it wasn't always an easy process. It was somewhat frustrating in that I'd often come back with less answers, more questions um, than I had going in. Uh, or basically, you know, I had one doctor just basically write up exactly what I told him as his report. It's was like, well, that doesn't really help me. <sighs> me. And, you know, I remember speaking to my, my family doctor about it. And he's like, it's because he didn't know. And, you know, again, which made me appreciate his honesty about what he knew and didn't know so much more. And also made me appreciate that ER doctor more, again, just being a human being and not trying to just kind of cover up their own flaws or insecurities.
0: Right.
1: By the end of the day, it was uh, getting into a, a rehabilitation program that really made me turn the corner. We needed to take a different sort of approach to push your brain as far as you could, but not too far. And so it was all about learning thresholds and boundaries um, and having a lot of patience. We also were able to start pinpointing what were some of the areas of the brain that were damaged. So that's where we learned, where I learned for certain that, you know, my visual processing had been. Um, We also learned that my balance, basically my inner ear had been completely disconnected from my brain. So if I closed my eyes... I hadn't even realized this, but they just asked me to stand and close my eyes, and I literally fell over. And so basically, all of my balance was based on my vision, which again, was why it was so taxing. So that gave us the ability to start pinpointing exercises that I could do to start rebuilding, remapping the brain, right? So if you think about neuroplasticity, your brain can remap itself, but if it's been damaged or it has to be a deliberate effort to do that.
0: And a repetitive effort.
1: Yep. You know, it's just like a little kid learning to walk. You don't get up and walk across the room necessarily. Yeah. You fall a few times and then you have to kind of learn until your, your mind encodes that. So we started going through those process. And again, just so many life lessons from that, right? You know, the first was having to, to accept the help. So, you know, part of me part of me was always a little bit rebellious. I, I don't necessarily deal well or respect authority. Um, and so when they told me things to do that I didn't necessarily want to do or that weren't pleasant, um, part of me was like, well, that's just not going to work. Uh, and I would get angry. I would get so angry, um, you know, within my, myself and my own. And I'd, I'd be stomping around my house and I'd be going on little mini tirades. I was practicing what I was going to tell them, but why I couldn't do it. And this was just unreasonable. And then, you know, before my appointment, it would just sort of hit me going, they're just helping. They're just telling you what you need to do. Right. And you can accept it or not, but it's not going to change the fact that that's what they're going to tell you to do. Right. And you getting angry isn't going to change it. But, you know, it's all just sort of the process that we have to go through.
0: It's not really going to help you either. It's funny the way that we come across something that we fight in this case you felt you didn't need to do these things and how we justify it to ourselves even though we know it's what we need need to to do do. to help ourselves yeah it's like going to the gym it's like saying well i can go to the gym tomorrow instead of today i use the gym just because it's a simple example but I can go tomorrow instead of today, or I don't really need to go today, or I, I, whatever. We come up with excuses, even though it's something we actually really need to do for mental health, or it's something we do for, you know.
1: It's about having the, it's about building that growth mindset and getting out of our fixed patterns about what we can and can't do. And, you know, the, the best example I have and someone I know who's struggling with being lonely and yet won't go out or join clubs or volunteer right. or do get out there and do things because, well, I'm not the type of person that does that. It's like, well, then you're going to be the type of person that's home and lonely, lonely. because perpetuate that's the same what cycle. you need to do. But, you know, in all fairness, we all have to sometimes go through that whole emotional cycle to get us to the
0: point. We absolutely have to go through the emotional cycle. It just depends on how long we choose to go, go through, through that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, huge you know, huge, interesting kind of process there. The other, and the one that's carried through for me, a big one, is that progress is made in slow and measured steps. We live in a world of instant gratification. You have a headache, you take a pill, and it's supposed to make you better. And, you know, certainly when I, part of my anger, I think when I stepped into rehab and going, what, you mean I have to do all this stuff, was just, Sign me the prescription that's going to make this better. But there isn't one, right? Um, but in real life, in, in, in reality, everything happens in slow measured steps, particularly anything that's growth-based, right? You have to take them as they come and that it's not a comfortable process.
0: That is growth. Growth is never comfortable. <laughs> uh,
1: and, you know, subsequently, you know, I've gone through growth in other areas because after you know you lose all your armor and you get will yourself down to the core to exist in the real world you have to build some sort of buffer emotionally right right and um and and build a new shell I suppose and I'm I'm sure sometime down the road I'll, I'll grow that shell and go through another process of sloughing it off and building a new one but it that process was also slow and measured and horribly uncomfortable and you wonder if you're getting anywhere until one day you emerge and you're like I think I'm better
0: I know that when you went back to work that was a big there were a lot of questions around whether this was what you wanted to do anymore or if there was the same it was rewarding you from a deeper level and what you actually wanted to do with your life, because I know we had kind of talked about like I don't know if this is, this is really giving me the satisfaction anymore that I want, or that I'm able to draw from this what I'm looking for, because my viewpoint has changed.
1: Well, really, what it was was there's a dissonance, and I you know, I theorized a lot about what what was causing that dissonance. Right. Um, at the end of the day you know i thought i turned a lot of it inward that's kind of unfortunately one of my patterns that i've had to learn and, and learn to break is uh i something goes, someone does something wrong to me wrongs me i'll blame myself okay. i should have seen it coming i should have this i should have that i should be smarter than them i should have preempted it i should whatever instead of just leaving the, you know okay they did this for whatever reason they did what they did right you know, forgive them, forgive myself, and move on. And move on. Um, so there was a lot of questioning of myself, of my abilities. Uh, and, of course, after all of this, I didn't know. Had I damaged more than I thought? Was right. I able to still do it? Certainly things like my energy levels aren't the same as they used to be.
0: you went back to work at a year and eight months, a year and seven months?
1: Um yeah, 14 months I think after I would left work.
0: And that was part-time, quite part-time.
1: It was it was a very gradual reentry to work. So it actually started with only a couple hours a week. Right. Yeah. And so it was a, probably another 6 months of gradual before I was working full-time. And then it was well over a year before I was really fully up to you know, I was working full-time but still just there was no doing anything in the evening. It was literally, that exhausted me and wiped me out. So it was a slow process to reintegrate. So that was the focus at the beginning. But then after that, I think at the end of the day, what I realized the dissonance is, again, my, my worldview had changed. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, it wasn't about your material accomplishments. It wasn't about how much you got done in a day or how productive you were. Priorities shifted. And so what I, th- what I found was the environment, at the end of the day what it was, was that the environment that I was in, in terms of the culture in the corporate corporations that I was in, wasn't aligned to my inner values, which had changed. And so what had worked for me before where I could prove myself by getting more done than other people, by being competitive with other people wasn't how I wanted to operate anymore. But that's how those companies operated. Right. Um, And so it was about finding a place where how I, I could still succeed but in the way that uh that matched who I'd become on the inside I don't know if I made a mistake it's things happen things happen sometimes for a reason you know
0: I think they always happen for a reason (laughs)
1: um and I'm not a huge believer in 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 uh in in fate or those types of things but whatever drives us to do something happens for a reason. So I'd made a a shift. I basically jumped out of the frying pan and into the fire. Uh, You know, I went from one situation that was causing dissonance to another situation that caused dissonance.
0: But in the beginning, it seemed more like an alignment, because I remember the discussion we had when you were first entertaining the new position. And it looked like the corporate culture was better. It looked like it was more aligned with who you are and that the opportunity to really be able to express yourself in the ways you wanted to was there. So I wouldn't say that, you, that it was, a, one, a mistake or that it was something that it, it was a lateral move. For you at the time, it seemed like the right move.
1: It seemed like the right move. I mean, it wasn't unfounded.
0: The way it played out is different, but that's that's just the nature of something. It wasn't
1: uh, unfounded. And at the end of the day, I wasn't aware enough of what was wrong or what I needed to have made a more informed choice.
0: But you also had had massive growth at that time, and we still are processing that growth months later.
1: I I was still in the midst of it. Like I said, I like it. It was my soft shell crab time, right? Right, this is it. growing a new shell. I'm, I'm, I'm. So you're vulnerable. You're susceptible to predators. You're, um, but you are still growing. And I needed to make the move. To, I know I needed to make the move to grow. And again, another trap we fall into in life is we blame our environment. Right. Right. We blame everyone else around us for what's wrong. You know, our jerk boss or this or that. Um, and so by moving. the ex- the external factors and still feeling that way shone a light on
0: I gotta do there's still
1: advice. there's still something on the inside here that needs to grow and develop and, and be fixed.
0: Or or explored. Or explored. <laughs> yeah. It's not so much fixing, it's more exploring.
1: <laughs> yeah. And and again, you know, I th- I think having been through what I'd been through once It was very analogous to what happened to the fall. You know, you fall, you injure yourself, you deny it for a while, you fight it. Gosh, I fought it, you know, and that's, that's fear, right? Our fear self says flight or fight. So first instinct is to like run around in circles looking for the exit like a madman, and then you start railing against everything, fighting your way out. Um, And I did that with a concussion, and I did that as I dealt with myself emotionally and professionally, Um, again, fought, fought people at work, but fought myself on the inside. And in both cases, it was the stopping, the slowing down, taking things in slow, measured steps, the repetition, moving from one thing to the next thing in a very logical and sequential manner. So as I was building up my thresholds to, move, to be able to use the computer again, for example, I literally started by using the computer 30 seconds. It was all I could handle. And then the next week, I'd push it to a minute, and then two minutes. And then four minutes, and in dealing dealing with myself and my emotional state, and and rebuilding my professional self, I had to get back to the basics again and figure out who I was, who I wanted to be.
0: Who I wanted to be such a very powerful thought. Who do I want to be?
1: And you know, so there's so many parallels, and then just start working back to that. So stop running around trying to please everybody else.
0: I think it's a surrender too. Like in those moments when we're just fighting against whatever event has happened. And in your case, it was the process to which the brain heals and how long that takes. And, and just, I can fight through this. I can hack through this. I can just push through this. And then at some point you just kind of have to surrender to no, I can't this is really is going to take what it's going to take. And I'm just going to allow it to be what it has to be because I have to. And that is such a gift we can give ourselves that so often we don't give.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, With the concussion, I had no choice. With rebuilding myself personally and professionally, I had a choice. But at the end of the day, that was the choice that made the difference because before that again running around i'll just work harder i'll just i'll just change my style to be more like what the company wants my style to be and then i'll get noticed and then once i'm there maybe i can be myself you know all those sort of that's the running around that's the kind of fighting i was doing with myself internally just i just got to be this i just got no i just got to surrender to the situation is what the situation is I need to trust in the value that I bring and the way I bring it.
0: And who I am.
1: And who I am. And let that speak for itself and let that evolve. And it was a process. It started with one project, you know, a project I ended up fighting for. And then when I got it, I made a vow to myself that I was going to run it in the way that was authentic to me. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I had to let go of and surrender to. This isn't about an f u to the people who told me my way wouldn't work. This was just about me doing it the way I knew it needed to be done and let go of what they thought, good or bad. Mm-hmm. And it worked. It worked better than anything we'd been doing up until that point.
0: This is what happens when people bring authenticity we have an opportunity to really bring something so special instead of trying to be someone we think everybody else needs us to be. Be authentic, be you, and magic happens.
1: It, It does. And that was, so that was the personal and professional turning point for me, was to realize that, no, I know what I'm doing. I know how to do this, and I don't need to try and adapt myself. I and that's not to say I don't take feedback and I don't grow and I don't learn and I don't watch what I admire and other people and, and, and all of those great things that come with a growth mindset. But I also trust what I have on the inside and what I have to bring and that not everyone will understand what I do because they're not me. Yeah. And that's okay. And not everyone will always appreciate it either. And that's okay.
0: And that's okay.
1: It works. It's not perfect, but it works for what I do. And uh, nor would I now go in and tell anyone, this is how you have to do it, because this is my way of doing it, right? It's about doing what works for you, who you are, as you are.
0: You have recently left that last position we were just discussing and taken on a very different role, which is really exciting. So I think that whole
1: process left me in a place where when you open yourself up and you believe in yourself, then things start the right things start to gravitate and come to you. And so an opportunity came my way, and I think had it come a year before... I don't think I would have been able to grab it the same way. So it's an opportunity. You know, it's new, so I I can't say, you know, the sheen will wear off at some point. Again, nothing's perfect. But I think for me, the biggest thing was when the opportunity came, I was able to see myself in the opportunity, say, this is going to be a challenge. This is not easy. But you know what? I do know how to do this. I can do this.
0: Taking that leap of faith?
1: Taking that leap and being able to talk to them and say, no, you know what, this is how I think you should do it. And this is why I think I should be the one to do it. Um, And having them go, yeah, you know, we agree. (laughs) (laughs) So I think regardless of of what the environment turns out to be, I've walked into this environment now a stronger and different person. It doesn't matter anymore, you know. I'm no longer the soft shell crab. I'm not vulnerable in the same way. I'm vulnerable in different ways because I choose to be and I choose to be. I choose to offer that and share that. But I do it with a sense of strength and, and confidence moving forward.
0: And knowing yourself and, again, being authentic. I love that. Authenticity is so very important, what we bring to everything in our life and how we bring it. What we offer to the people around us, whether it's in a work position or whether it's in a relationship or whether it's with your friends or whether it's with your family, it doesn't matter. What you bring to those moments really does matter and really does affect the world around you. I think it's a really beautiful moment when we come to the realization that our authenticity is what makes this world a great place.
1: Absolutely. We're all different for a reason. We all bring different things. It's about finding your place within yourself, within the world, within your family and your relationships where you can express that and let that shine. Absolutely. And sometimes it's a journey to find who that is. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I think we all build up armor and, and shells at times and sometimes we have to have these moments in life where we shed those Uh, So we can build new ones. But at the core, who we are is what makes us unique, what makes us special, what brings value to this world. And that's what we need to make sure that we're always honoring.
0: Yes. Honoring of self is so important. And more times than not, we dishonor ourselves in moments of... I think that they want me to be this in this scenario, so therefore I'm going to be that. That's not honoring of self at all. And that's not us gifting any, any situation at all or any um, moment that we can strengthen instead of devalue because we are not honoring ourselves, because we don't see our value. Our core value is absolutely immeasurable. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And uh, I think we forget that we're not, honoring ourselves, but we're also not honoring others. In
0: those moments.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, as I said, when I uh, pared down to the core with my concussion, the biggest realization was those that cared for me cared for what was at the core, not what I could do. And so by not honoring that, I was dishonoring the people who cared for that. Right? that That was the walls that had built up in my marriage, is that we were starting to hide our core selves out of Insecurities that built over time, Mm -hmm. as they do, and therefore dishonoring the love that we had for each other.
0: Very interesting insight.
1: And by getting breaking down those walls, we were able to rebuild our marriage and re-strengthen it based on love. Not based on the house and the kids and the RSPs.
0: And all the layers.
1: (laughs) And all the layers. So... um, You know, and and at work, by dishonoring myself and trying to fit somebody else's moulds, I was dishonoring the people that needed me. There were other people in that office who were struggling that needed someone to help shine a light for them. You know, that was one of the biggest things that I had learned, was there was, once people started talking, once we started opening up, and that was one of the values that I brought, was that ability to have those conversations and to reach out and bring people together. Once people had those conversations, they were able then to release some of that for themselves and start bringing their more authentic selves to the table. So every, every year, uh, being the year, I, I, I meditate a little bit on what I want the year to be. And the words that popped into my head this year were, step into the shoes that you were meant
0: to fill. And I've had something very similar happen over this last year for myself. And it was become the giant you are truly meant to be. The person that is within you is so big and bright and able to gift the world. And I didn't want to hide anymore or pretend I wasn't her. Because really that's all we're doing is just pretending we aren't who we are. By wearing our layers and wearing our shelves... And keeping those on and thinking that's who we are. It's not. The authentic self needs to shine. It was in those moments of recognizing uh, the giant within. I I do work on this and teach people how to do this. But um, the first time I saw her and who she is, it was scary, but not really. It was one of those moments that was like, wow. But it was also in recognizing the moments when I was really small and why I was hiding and where those came from and how to integrate them into the giant and how to have the giant accept and protect those little parts of you that are your little self in moments when you felt you couldn't. And I will say there is something so unbelievably powerful in the moment when you join forces and that little child truly feels safe and protected and happy and loved and whole when you bring them in with your giant. And then you get to go out into the world and really do something powerful. And your powerful can look different than somebody else's powerful. Like I don't look at powerful being one thing or it being something that has to be public or, or very, very grandiose. I, I find this one of the most beautiful um, examples you're powerful could be that incredible parent who supports a child who felt dumb and make sure that they help evolve them and grow them so that they can go out into the world and be their own incredible little beings well they wouldn't be little at that point they'd be adults but to go be their their powerful selves too instead of just allowing the world to crush them that is a big role what a gift a parent can give, what a gift someone can give by getting up on a stage and saying their truth, what a gift someone can give by standing up in a board meeting and being authentic and really adding value to whatever is being done. It doesn't matter what the scenario is. It's just what we bring. I have a quote that I am going to close this off with. This is my favorite quote of all times. And I've read this a thousand times, probably. I've read this to many. I've shared this with many. And at different moments in my life, different parts of it have resonated. So I hope you get the same insightful experience from this quote, because it's so profound. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There is nothing, nothing enlightened about shrinking so that others won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we subconsciously give others permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And I want to thank Marianne Williamson for that quote because it's in her book, Return to Love, which is an amazing book, by the way. Um, But this is exactly what we're talking about. Those moments when our authenticity and allowing ourselves to truly be In that moment as ourselves. We are gifting others the ability to be themselves, to bring what they bring and add value to whatever that experience is in that moment. And when we don't do this, we do dishonor ourselves and them. And it's an underlying dishonorment that also keeps us stuck (laughs) instead of helps raise us and others up. So, Yeah, it's the moments of honoring of self and being true to who we are and the authenticity we bring to everything in our life. And there are moments we're all going to not be in our best authentic selves. (laughs) There are always going to be moments because we're human. But the more aware we are, the more we are able to actually offer this more and more and more regularly until it just becomes us. So the next time you come across someone who's had an injury or who's been hurt, give them a little love. We know it's tough. All right, guys, next week we are on episode nine, and I think we're going to talk about lessons because it seems to keep coming up. All of the things that life keeps presenting over and over and hitting us over the head with, why does this keep happening? Why? Okay, so this is what we're going to talk about. Because let me tell you, my last few weeks have been a lot of this. (laughs) So you know the drill, fear it goes, F-E-A-R-I-T-G-O-E-S.com. Come check us out, sign up for our newsletter. I am constantly giving you great details around health, all the things that are going to improve your life. I went keto a few years ago and I talk about things to do with diet amongst other things. So come check us out at fearitgoes.com love to have you sign up. If you are loving it Goes, come subscribe, leave us a comment, rate us. If you are loving us, I would love to hear the details. If you're not loving us, I'd love to hear those details too, because it's the only way I'm ever going to improve and bring you what you really want to hear. Leave a message at the bottom of our podcast section on fearitgoes.com. There is lots of room to rate all the comments you want, and I get those personally, so that would be really great. And if there's something that you would like to hear on the podcast coming up, please leave it in the comments as well. I did leak to you the last time that I am going to be doing a six-part series on sex. It might even become longer. I swear to God I could do a whole podcast on that. Um, But it is fascinating the way it's starting to develop, and I cannot wait to bring it to you but that's a few more episodes away so hold your little panties all right until next week beautiful souls thank you so much for listening and have an absolutely extraordinary week